What's up, everybody? My name is Adam, and I'm the host of the You Know Adam Same podcast, the show that is dedicated on bringing on passionate people, learning about their stories, and delivering value to entrepreneurs. So if that's what you're interested in, go ahead and follow, like, and subscribe. You know what I'm saying? How's it going, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the You Know Adam Same podcast, where you get to know just a little bit more about people, passions, and all things business. Today, I have a special guest, Matthew Thielen. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me, Adam. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I we, we connected actually talking about podcasts in the past, and uh, I'm super excited to be a guest on one as opposed to kind of hosting it and, and learn some things from you along the way. Uh, so I really appreciate it. Awesome. So first things first, you actually also have a podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So on my podcast, it's called MBE Enterprise Podcast, which the letters in that kind of stand for money, business, and entrepreneurship. And that's what I like to focus on with it. So I kind of try and bring bring guests on every episode, um, talk about really all things money, business, and entrepreneurship, whether they're uh, startups. I know you talk to a lot of entrepreneurs in that realm with like kind of companies in that regard, or whether they're just um, older people, maybe in the field of business, and I can kind of learn from them, um, network with them in, in that way, and, and just get any knowledge I can from the guests that I have on. That's kind of the reason I created it actually in the first place was just to learn from others and also get better at communicating because that's obviously an extremely important skill to have in any industry going forward. Well, this is super exciting just because, you know, that's pretty much similar to the podcast that I run. Um, I think I find it super interesting when, you know, business people connect with business people, because for the most part, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a businessman, uh, a lot of people don't really if you're not in the game, you don't really understand what that life means, you know. Uh, So super excited about uh, digging into what the things that you're doing right now. So let's talk about kind of uh, your entrepreneurial journey and the things that you are currently doing. Yeah, so right now I am working. I co-founded a startup company called Circular Sands LLC. Um, it was kind of the brainchild of the, the founder of it, whose name is also Matt, coincidentally enough. And he kind of had this idea last fall. Um, it was a, a project, kind of a sustainability project he was working on. It involved... Um, crushing back down glass, actually used glass material that's going to landfills across the nation and uh, finding a way to convert that back into usable a usable resource. And the one that he came up with was sand, uh, of course, crushing the, the glass back down into sand as glass is made from sand in the first place. And the the way that he went with this was developing it for golf courses, uh, golf course, sand bunkers, top dressing. For those of you, you know, it's pretty obvious that you see the sand in bunkers on golf courses, right? But maybe not everyone knows that a lot of sand gets used throughout the year uh, on the greens and, and fairways with divots and that sort of thing. Um, so that, that top dressing sand is also a big, a big use as well. And we kind of took that route um, to try and penetrate that market. And Matt had the idea, um, of course, with it. And he brought on a, a uh, partner. The, the first co-founder of his was actually a mutual connection. I didn't know who Matt was, but we were connected through Ben, who's the other co-founder. And Matt and Ben worked on it for a bit. And then they kind of realized that a, per, a strength um, of theirs that they, sorry, a strength they didn't have that they were looking for a skill perhaps was kind of the numbers um, finance side of things. And 
and that's kind of where they, they Ben brought up my name and they uh, offered me a chance to work on it with them. And we actually pitched it at uh, eFest, which is a, I believe it's the largest um, undergrad national business competition. Um, and we, you know, ended up doing pretty well at that and got some, uh, got some startup funding, uh, kind of the first round of funding from that, got a ton of valuable feedback from the judges, which was honestly like the most important part of it. And uh, from there, it's kind of, uh, the rest is kind of history in a way. We, we got that feedback and the judges were like, you know, you guys should really pursue this. You, you, have, a, you have an idea here that's certainly worth pursuing and has potential. So uh, we kind of took it from there. And uh, actually, I have to mention this, went to another business competition um, where that's where actually where I ended up meeting Matthew Tezvich, the founder of Ox Socks, whom you had on your podcast. And that's actually how we connected in the first place. So it's kind of crazy because... It, uh, little decisions, you know, little, little changes in circumstances, uh, make massive ripple effects down the road. Cause I mean, we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for that. So, uh, yeah. So let's talk about the community, right? Cause I think the community is a huge aspect of being an entrepreneur. And, you know, one of the features in here was that you're right. We, we connected through Matthew, but you know, Matthew didn't really have to kind of like say, Hey, like th make the introduction to us. What I love about entrepreneurship and people that play this game is like we are strong as a team together, right? And so like whatever problems that you're finding or whatever things that you face, it is so valuable to have someone that you can bounce ideas off of because we all, regardless of if it's sand that you're working with or um, socks that you're selling or whiskey grills that you're doing, we all face like the same challenges and it's such a great thing. How has uh, being on the pitch circuit for you uh, opened your kind of like network uh, for other people? Well, one thing I want to touch on there right away is, is that community aspect that you just brought up. And one of the biggest things with that is having that mindset that you're not competing against everyone, right? Mm -hmm. I think everyone thinks of business, entrepreneurship, and they think of it as this constant competition. And, you know, in some ways it certainly is. But if you have a network and a community, like you said, around you that is really focused on, you know, for example, me and Matthew to start, he's in the socks industry, right? And, and I'm in the, you know, B2B sand for golf courses. So they're, they're totally different. There's no reason we can't bounce ideas off each other, you know, learn from each other, learn from mistakes that each other have made. And, and in that regard, it's not really a competition. It's kind of, it's a mutual benefit. It's a mutual gain and, and helping each other on the, along the way. So I think, uh, that's an extremely important aspect of it, like you brought up right away. The pitch circuits have certainly been extremely beneficial for, you know, networking and connecting. And that's that's one of the biggest benefits of them too. not only connecting with mentors, but also connecting with those other entrepreneurs and individuals. And actually, the, the whole podcast that I started in the first place was really born from that. It was it was born from the fact that I was meeting these, all these people at these these pitch competitions. And I was like, you know, we're talking and we're networking over this weekend and, and theoretically staying in touch right on things like LinkedIn or, or even if it's just Instagram, something like that. But I was like, I, I want to make more of these connections. You know, I want to, like you said, network and, and learn from them really. Cause that's part of what network networking is. And, uh, yeah, the, the pitch competitions were absolutely critical in that because it just allowed, it, it brought forth so many more potential connections that I, that I never would have had had I not entered that. And, as far as meeting though people who maybe weren't as friendly, um, it, it's few and far between. I would say I, I've have maybe come across some people who 
I wouldn't even call them unfriendly by any means, um, but maybe just just a little less willing to help, a little more focused on, you know, their, their individual thing and their individual goals. And, you know, that's all right too, that you have to figure out how to navigate all sorts of different people as far as the community goes. So I think that, uh, uh, you know, you welcome those situations and you, and you learn from them maybe on how you want to approach other people. It kind of tells you how you want to be looked at going forward too. So as an entrepreneur, your main kind of like experience in this has really been on the side of um, p- the pitch circuit. What was it like kind of like pitching? I guess like let's re- let's roll it back to kind of like the development of the idea. You got brought in, you got you started experiencing kind of like, you know, building, uh, I guess I'm assuming a pitch deck uh, to get ready to go out and and quote unquote perform for these investors, right? Um, tell, walk me through that process for you guys. Certainly. So I'll take you back to late February, I believe, early February, somewhere in there. Um, that's when we kind of, I got brought on with the idea in early February and it was kind of, at that point, it was kind of just an idea. We were, we were working on it, but we were also, we were like, okay, there's this e-fest thing coming up that, uh, Matt had not. The other Matt obviously had not participated in the past, but it was uh, hosted by St. Thomas, which is where he is an alumni of. Um, so he knew about that and he's like, I think this would be a good opportunity to, you know, a learn from the judges, learn from their feedback, uh, apply that feedback going forward, but then also, you know, be potentially win some, some startup funding, which would obviously be super beneficial. And that was, that was obviously another goal of it, but honestly, not even the primary one because we had just kind of developed this idea and we, we had no idea if it was going to be great or if it was going to be received well, or if it would be, you know, if, if we would get destroyed and, you know, be, first of all, there was an application process that we had to go through. So to start, we made a a pitch video. So we had the, we developed a pitch deck kind of, but this had to be a a shorter video. I think it was like under seven minutes, I want to say. Um, which was the first deck we had made, but it ended up being different than the eventual eFest ones. We made this seven minute one, um, we, we submitted it, and then it was like a month wait before we even knew if we'd get into the competition. So I believe there was, there was maybe a couple hundred, um, for sure at least a hundred teams or so that apply, maybe around 150 um, teams that try and get into this competition. It's undergrad competition. And we knew there was teams from all around the country. And we honestly, like we, we Matt had a feeling we'd have a good shot because he had pitched this idea in a different competition and done pretty well with it. And I think it was maybe like he knew someone who he maybe had gotten close to um, placing next to in that prior competition. And then they had maybe placed, I think, in EFEST or gotten into EFEST. So he thought we had a shot. I'll put it that way. So we put this together and we're waiting a month then. And, you know, we're kind of we're working on the idea. Um, but we're still kind of waiting a little bit to see because uh, at the time uh, I had played baseball um, at, at, in college and my one of my co-founders was playing baseball at the time as well. And so we all had busy schedules, obviously, and we, we weren't sure where this was going to go. Well, fast forward a month, uh, it goes by and we ended up finding out that we did make it. So the top 25 teams were selected to go and you could you know fly there or drive to St. Thomas for a, a three-day event. So we were super pumped. We were like, dude, we actually made it. Like we, we had this feeling that maybe we were going to, we knew we had a shot and then for it to become reality was really like, okay, 
now we got to really get to work, right? Because it was another month. I think it was end of March or so that we, um, I, I hope I'm getting these dates right, roughly end of March or so that we got accepted, uh, finalists we became. And then I think it was end of April that the actual competition was. So we're like, all right, now we got to, you know, full speed ahead here. Every night of the week, we're going to start meeting, um, start running through, rehearsing this, building out our, then it was a 15-minute pitch then, and also have to have a 90-second elevator pitch ready. Um, all this stuff. And we, we didn't really know what to expect because we, none of us had ever, Matt had done a smaller pitch competition before once Ben and I had no prior experience in a pitch competition. We'd, you know, taken your standard public speaking classes and that sort of thing. And we both felt pretty comfortable, um, speaking in front of people, but we had never done anything like this and, and didn't really know what to expect. So we, really wanted to make sure we were dialed in on the pitch and all the details and furthering the research and, and, and doing all that background stuff, of course, that's necessary, um, but not so much pivotal to the, the speaking portion of things. We get to eFest um, that first that first night, we do our elevator pitch, um, which was actually just one member. So it was Matt uh, was the one who gave that. And it actually went terrible i think he would he would be the first to admit that he uh it, it was not the best that he'd done it at all and we were kind of like oh man like that was not a good start but the whole we have the whole weekend right to, to learn so it didn't really um there was a chance to win some some funding through that elevator pitch but uh it, it wasn't anything that we were super concerned with but it was just kind of the the mindset of like oh no this this certainly did not start great but the way we looked at it was well we can't get any worse than that, right? So there's nowhere to go but up going forward. And and the rest of the weekend, honestly, I guess it proved to go that way. So the, the next day um, in the morning, we gave our regular, our 15-minute uh, pitch in front of, I believe it was six judges. And this one was like a private setting. So we were just in uh, one of the St. Thomas classrooms um, giving it to the panel of judges. And I think just our mentors were at this one. So just like eight people or so, nothing, nothing, uh, insane. We, we felt that we absolutely nailed the pitch. Um, we got done with it. The judges had a ton of questions for us and seemed very interested. So that was kind of like, all right, we went into that thinking like the night before watching everyone's elevator pitches, we were like, holy cow, there's some insane businesses here. Like some of these might be billion dollar companies one day. We're like, we're just kind of repurposing a material. Like we had no idea what to expect. And then uh, when those judges were so interested, we and actually a couple of them kind of came up to us and were asking about different, whether they were interested in investing, you know, or this sort of thing. We're like, okay, like, I feel like we did pretty well then because they seem very interested. And so then they gather all 25 teams and their, and their um, mentors, advisors, I should say, in the, in the room, in the auditorium there at St. Thomas, which was a great facility. And the, everything they did there was honestly really awesome. I'd recommend it to anyone. Um, we get that and they're announcing, you know, the suspense waiting, announcing the final five teams that would then pitch in the auditorium in front of the 200 plus people that were there. And we weren't necessarily expecting that. So we, uh, they, they announced it and we were the winners of our pod. So then we had to go right away. Like it was those five teams, they drew an order and then there was no more like really preparing. It was just, all right, we're getting right into it. And that was, you knew that ahead of time, um, going in, but. So it was just, yeah, right to it. We uh, pitch again. Um, we also thought we did, you know, really well in that one too. And that was a totally different experience because that wasn't in front of, you know, eight people. That was like 250 people. And some of the some of the judges in the audience, I, I included like uh, 
the founder of Best Buy. Um, he was, uh, he was there. So we're, we're talking like billions of dollars of judges in the net worth in the, in the audience right there in front of us. That's so crazy. And so that was a, yeah, that was a, a total change, a t- totally different experience from anything we'd ever done. And we felt like we did a good job with the pitch. Um, the judges definitely had a, like it, it's definitely still was viewed as a learning opportunity. So they weren't like grilling people like really hard on teams with questions. You know what I mean? I don't want to frame it like that, but it was definitely some more like got to think on your feet questions here, right? Like you got to have answers for some things because they were, they were uh, rattling them off. You know what I mean? And we answered those. We thought we did good in the Q and a, and then from there it was kind of just wait and see. And so then the final, you know, results came out, they announced one by one and uh, we ended up, we ended up getting third out of the, the 25 teams there and the, you know, the hundreds of teams that applied for it. So it was a pretty incredible experience. And like I said, the people that I've met along the way, literally born, uh, literally birthed this, the podcast that I'm uh, doing now, because a lot of those connections are the people that I've had on to start. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was an incredible experience. And like I said, I'd, I'd recommend eFest uh, out of St. Thomas to anyone. That's awesome. I mean, you know, just seeing your, um, seeing you tell your story about how impactful this is, I can tell that like you love kind of like this game, right? It's like the rush of it kind of like, you know, not having enough time or like thinking that coming back from like maybe a potential quote unquote loss. Um, in your opinion, you know, you mentioned that you play baseball. Um, how much impact did that, uh, did sports have in this game of like, you know, pressure, right? Because really like what you're experiencing right now is like, you know, pressure to perform. I think that's a great question. And it's one that I actually asked, um, Matthew Tezvich too, cause he also plays baseball. It's, uh, it's one that I think is extremely applicable. And I think any athlete would tell you that, um, especially baseball though, in a way, because I, uh, I played, I was from a small town. I played a lot of sports in high school. Um, and you know, most sports, like I think of basketball, I think of football, they're, they're very, they're very team oriented and everything, everyone's kind of doing something at once on the field, right? There's obviously a ball carrier in, in football or, or someone that has the ball in basketball, but everyone's moving on the court or the field at once baseball it's a little different um i was a pitcher in high school and and a position player in college but whether you're pitching like if you're pitching you're on the mound you have the ball everyone is watching you while you deliver the pitch like there is no middle ground kind of in a way right either baseball either got out or you got on base and and in the pitch competition like you either nailed it and did well i guess or you know you didn't do your best and i think the idea of just trying to do your best each and every time and, and, and going forward with that, I think is, is huge. What's been your biggest kind of like memory along your entrepreneurial journey thus far? So I would definitely say that that EFS competition mm-hmm. um, would certainly be the biggest. So I actually, my entrepreneurial journey is kind of interesting because when I was younger, um, like high school, junior high and early high school years, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. That was something I always wanted to do. I had lemonade stands when I was a kid. I pretty sure against the rules sold like Mountain Dew beverages in, in my high school, got in trouble for that. Um, but that, it was just always like businesses like that to kind of, you know, make money. I liked, I liked controlling my own finances in the sense of making my own money um, and not necessarily being reliant on other people, I guess. And 
that kind of my, the journey kind of got put on pause for a while um, because I decided I wanted to play college baseball and the school that I decided to go to, um, I knew this during the decision-making process, didn't have an entrepreneurship like major, right? And I think it's always interesting, an entrepreneur major, because it's kind of a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for, but a it doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's BS cuz like entrepreneurs like you I I don't feel like you can teach really truly honestly teach like entrepreneurship. And you know like the I I'm really close with like the professors at Georgia Southern and all of them are going to hate me for saying that, but it's just like it's one of those things where like if you if you have at, at least in my opinion, right? Like there's a element of like the hustle that you can't teach that to someone. Like they can go to as many classes they want, but they aren't able. They're not built like that, right? Um, and you and you know, for me, uh, I guess like you know, in your opinion, do you feel that entrepreneurship can be taught? I think it's uh, it's an interesting one to think on. It paradox is the word I was thinking of. It's kind of a paradox, contradictory, like we had said. It's interesting. I think the idea, what I've heard, at least from interviewing some guests too, um, has been the network. It can be beneficial, right? Like an entrepreneurship major connecting you with people who are in the entrepreneurship world or have been entrepreneurs in the past. You're able to connect from them and then kind of take them in as mentors separate from the actual teachings. Um, but as far as the actual like teaching itself, I, I, I wasn't an entrepreneurship major, so I guess I can't speak on the specific classes in that regard, but the idea of teaching it, I, I think it is kind of intrinsic in a way. I think the entrepreneurial like mindset is kind of intrinsic and within a person because it's, it's kind of the mindset of like, you know, I there is no set of rules to follow, right? There is no... A lot of times there is no precedent. You know, it might be, you know, might be in a, an innovative type company that's literally changing the grounds of the industry going forward and and there is no like book or pathway to follow right as opposed to you know uh, a discipline where it's it's more focused on a set of rules or following you know a structure i don't think you have that with entrepreneurship i, I like to always say that entrepreneurship is a synonym for problem solving like mm. you essentially just love problem solving if you love entrepreneurship and um, so as far as can it be taught, I think there are, you know, mentorship is obviously extremely important within entrepreneurship. Um, and, and they can kind of teach you and, and guide you, maybe teach you the skills that are like more beneficial, but as far as like directly teaching the entrepreneurship, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if you, you can directly do that. Well, I've seen oftentimes in classes, what they do is they teach students how to go and secure funding. Now, I think that that is definitely something that can be taught because, you know, putting the concept together, making it look attractive to investors, uh, you know, making sure that the numbers look good. Those are all things that have like that type of structure but like you said you know when you when you're working on the fringes when you are trying to convince the world that your idea is a good idea you know I, I think that that's where it gets out out of like the scope of like just because there's a book that's written on it doesn't mean it it's like going to be the way right entrepreneurship to me is like breaking being able to break the rules that's why entrepreneurship works yeah, I like that you brought up the the concept of like reading about it in a book because I think a lot of people will read about certain books and and think that they're like accomplishing something by doing that. 
And I think that's something I just saw a post actually today that was like, there's only one way to do the thing and it's do the thing. Like preparing to do the thing isn't doing the thing. Reading about doing the thing isn't doing the thing. Telling your friend that you're going to do the thing isn't doing the thing, right? At the end of the day, you have to do it. And the concept of, you know, books, I think is an interesting one because there's a lot of beneficial lessons that can be taught within them. Um, but also, you know, sometimes people will get the, the idea that just reading a ton of books on a subject is, is somehow doing the, the actual work and, and they might actually be putting off the work they should be doing with it. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you in that securing funding, for example, is something that we had a workshop on at that, at that eFest competition and was something that uh, is, yeah, super beneficial. There's certainly aspects within it that can be taught, but I, I think back to, you know, I, I had the feeling that I had kind of this entrepreneurial mindset, I guess, my whole life, right? But I didn't always have a product or a service that I was going to offer. Right? I didn't always have a business. And I think that's where kind of the idea of that you have to kind of have something come to you in a way, right? You can, you can search long and hard for what your business is going to be. And maybe in some cases that is how people start that. And maybe that's how their stories start. But I think for a lot of people, it's more like I have this problem. I have this issue that I'm tired of dealing with, or I want to solve I want to solve it. And, and I think the difference between kind of what the entrepreneurial mindset is, is that a lot of everyone on the planet runs into things that they have issues with or they have problems with they don't like how it's done and the entrepreneurs are the ones i guess who you know actually get fed up with it enough to literally build a business around it and and put the work in you know the successful ones obviously put the work in and finish it i just was talking about this actually with a guest recently too and it's like you know they were like i don't know if there's anything special about me and it's kind of like well what's special about you is you had this problem and you built a business to fix it. Like a lot of people just have the problem and, and don't ever go forward with it. So I think that's uh, something that's interesting as well. And actually to, on the funding topic too, I, uh, so that journey was, I, w I was going to decided to go to college to play baseball and the school that I was going to didn't have an entrepreneurship major, which like we got into the idea of that's kind of a paradox in itself, but nonetheless, I had to pick something else to major in when I knew I wanted to eventually like be my own boss down the road. And so what I settled on was like, okay, what else, what else do I really like? And I also really liked numbers, uh, analytics, finance is what I ended up majoring in was finance. I loved markets, um, you know, stock market. I'd fallen in love with that in high school. And so it's interesting because that is essentially, that is what led me into getting involved with Circular Sands in the first place was the, the finance area of interest. Cause Ben, you know, was talking with Matt and realized like, Hey, we, we, we need someone who's likes are good with numbers, you know, passionate about numbers, essentially to kind of iron out the, the financials of what this company is going to look like. And so that's how I eventually got connected with them. And we, uh, our model had a, it was like a five-year discounted cash flow model, I think, as far as what our, our funding was going to be on the, um, or our projections company valuation was going to be on the, the, the finance side of things at the business pitch. And that was something that actually went over super well. So it turned out that my, my lack of having an entrepreneurship major and having a finance major instead maybe delayed it a little bit, but ultimately it's what got me to the position I guess I am in now with this startup company. So very cool. So talk, talk to me about the numbers. What, what does, is sand capable of doing? Yeah. So the, the original issue that we came to uh, with this company was the idea that sand in itself is not extremely expensive, but the shipping of it is. And so based on our, you know, preliminary online research, 
um, it was we found that a lot of the premier golf courses around the nation are getting their sand uh, from select states, select areas, and a lot of them are having to have them shipped from quite a ways away, and those shipping costs are obviously piling up compared to what the actual sand itself costs for that high-quality stuff. And the second bird um, with it that Matt, you know, found was the idea that there's actually a sand shortage in the U.S. and also an abundance of wasted glass, glass that's going to landfills and, and not being reused. Like certain glass is being uh, reused back into glass, recycled. Um, and then what we're kind of doing is upcycling is what it's called. Uh, Matt actually knew kind of one of the, the founders of the upcycling industry, I guess. So what we're kind of doing is upcycling that glass back into sand. And then uh, the reason that it's able to be, I guess the numbers are able to be, you know, effective is the idea that a lot of this glass we're able to get for extremely cheap, right? Mm -hmm. Because the other option would be companies sending it to landfills, right? Paying for it to go in landfills. They, they don't just go there for free, you know? So it's kind of an alternative. That was one of the actual uh, kind of like not slogans, but lines with our pitch was the idea that we would actually getting potentially be getting paid for our supply. You know, at the, at the very least we're getting it free, but you know, if they're paying $40 a ton to send this to a landfill, well, they could pay us $30 a ton to take it. It makes sense for them, and, and we're actually getting paid for our supply. So it's kind of a second, a whole other revenue stream on that end, which was certainly intriguing, I, I'm sure, from the judge's perspective as well. And, uh, yeah, throughout our research going forward, we've kind of continued to find that we're able to get this sand for either, like, completely shipped to us for free. Um, or sorry, the glass completely shipped to us for free or uh, – or even potentially getting paid a little bit for it in our, we're, we're still in the concept phase. Um, I mentioned that as well. So we are right before the point of starting to pitch to equity investors to get the financing for this. But yeah, our, our, uh, our not preliminary, but our secondary research, I guess, following up is, is going well as well. How, how big is this market that of golf courses using sand? Yeah. So the, the potential market um, is, for golf courses is extremely large. And then also actually areas that we're looking into are um, concrete. Think of the, the, the concrete pouring industry, the, uh, um, oh, the word I'm thinking, architectural industry, right? Building uh, buildings themselves. And sand is a, is a primary um, component involved in, in concrete. And so that's something that we may eventually pivot into as well but the the golf course side of the and there's certainly other areas that involve sand as well private beaches you know that sort of thing is another one that comes to mind and uh as far as golf goes you know that's that's an industry where it, it, there's goods and there's goods positives and negatives to it right it's an industry where people are willing to spend money you know for for high quality right i don't think anyone argues that like golf can kind of sometimes be an expensive sport people are willing to pay you want high quality things and and sand is no different that's one of the things with this this recycled um sand essentially recycled glass that's that's then sand is uh, according to some some testing that we have researched online from a a, a turf uh, institute research facility over in europe they actually found it in theirs to be higher performing. Um, so that's one of the key aspects because, like I said, the positives of people, you know, willing to pay for this high quality sand ties into the negative of that they really want to know what they're playing on. They want to know, you know, the details of, of the sand that they're using, just like they'd want to know the details of the club they're using, right? The, the brand makes a difference and the quality of the sand certainly makes a difference. So the, the market itself is one that 
is extremely large. And also, you know, there's recurring the average golf course, according to our preliminary research, the average golf course uses around 400 tons um, annually just for bunk bunker sand, top dressing, um, maintenance continually. And what we found actually, it's interesting is that the, you'd think it's obvious, but right away we didn't necessarily think of it was the, you know, Northern States where the golf season is much shorter, clearly. Um, they'll obviously use less than Southern ones. So that's another area where our mindset has shifted more towards maybe like Florida or Arizona type markets. So to target those golf industries where they're year round and, um, yeah, yeah, the, the sand usage down there then, you know, is even more than that national average. Um, they're willing to pay a premium potentially for it because right now they have to pay so much for it to be shipped, but then also because the it's a market where it's discretionary spending, right? It's not something where they're, they're trying to um, do the bare minimum on everything. They, they want to have high-quality sand that their, their golfers will then view as high-quality, and, you know, a, a golf membership is not cheap, so they, they have a... That there's it's a balance between finding the the courses that are, are willing to pay that premium you know and then also the courses that where the golfers themselves are comfortable with trying out this new sand because that's going to be another important thing it's not just you know redoing an entire course right off the bat all 18 holes or if it's a nine hole course nine holes it'll probably start with you know a sand trap on the, the practice pit right or one hole or sponsoring a golf tournament perhaps um, with, with having the sand in these holes getting kind of that customer feedback that's obviously important those testimonials from the golfers themselves playing in the sand and being like hey this stuff plays better than regular sand or just even i didn't even notice a difference between this and the regular sand because then you know if we're able to get the get the courses the sand for uh cost effective and then also you know higher quality potentially hopefully which is what we're our goal is with the research uh being done then uh it works out very well for everyone so what's uh next steps for the company yeah so right now uh recently we've been doing a ton of you know uh, not sales calls but essentially market research calls calling uh, all sorts of two of us are kind of focused on calling um as many golf courses as we can essentially throughout Minnesota is where it started. And then now we're kind of shifting to the Florida market as well. Calling those courses, getting information regarding, you know, we had that preliminary research, right? That was obviously the first step of it all is, you know, internet resources, right. And finding that research from, from them, but we wanted to get some more primary research as well before we begin, you know, pitching to equity investors uh, say. So, our, uh, what we're doing now is, is calling those courses, just getting the information, establishing relationships with them, um, you know, finding the ones that we could, that are in, very interested, that we can connect with going forward in the future, uh, you know, keep them in the loop, get the numbers as far as their, you know, tons of sand they use a year, whether it's bunkers, top dressing, pricing they're currently paying, that sort of thing. Um, and then just, like I said, establishing those relationships and going forward, once we on uh, the, the third co-founder is, uh, establishing kind of the supply. So right now we're looking at around in Minnesota, which we don't know for sure if we'll start Minnesota or Florida, that'll depend on once again, some of this market research he's, uh, he's secured, you know, verbally cause we're not officially a company. Uh, well, we're an LLC, but we're not officially operational yet. So verbally he's, uh, received around, I think we're at around 20,000 tons of glass. Um, for this year one and, and around 15,000 of that is recurring. So that's a number we wanted to be over uh, 8,000 tons ideally is what we wanted to be over year one for our kind of the financial model to be feasible in that regard. And so we're, we're looking very good on the supply end. We're excited for that. Um, looking into Florida on that as well now. And then, uh, yeah, we'll just continue to 
call those courses, establish those relationships. And once we get enough kind of data points and customer feedback, then we'll be able to start pitching to equity investors, which will be our ultimate kind of next step. And, and we might even enter another pitch competition um, in the meantime, just to potentially, you know, get more feedback, establish more mentors, and then um, get, you know, perhaps a little more funding as well. That's awesome. Um, sounds like it's a super exciting time for you guys. I, I had a wonderful time kind of like listening about the the um, journey of um, doing this and, you know, all that sort of good stuff. But, you know, what is one piece of advice that you would give to an entrepreneur? This is a question I ask a lot of people, Adam. It's It's very interesting being on the other side of this one. I feel like I can kind of give my own perspective, but also uh, reflect some of the common answers I, I've heard from some of the most successful entrepreneurs I've talked to. And I think the number one thing I would say as far as advice would just be um, discipline and perseverance. Because if you start something new, you know, every month, if you, if you have a great idea and it might be a great idea, it might suck, but it might be a great idea and you work on it hard. And, uh, I get this from Alex Hormozzi. I mentioned him a lot. I love his content on YouTube. Um, and you get, you know, overly optimistic about that idea. You think it's amazing and it's the best idea ever. And you want to work on it and you work and work and work and you get a month in and then you kind of run into the biggest challenges that you're going to face. Maybe not that you're going to face, but you're running the biggest challenges you've faced thus far. And then you get to that point and you're, you become overly pessimistic. You're like, oh, this isn't going to work. I have to do all this hard work. Like you didn't think it was going to be easy, right? You wanted it to be, but you, you can't realistically think it's going to be easy. You have to love kind of the process. And part of that process is the, the failures, right? Is the, the, the times where it's tough. Like that's kind of what you have to love if you're really going to be an entrepreneur. And so that idea of just persevering through it, because if you get to those first difficulties a month or two in or whenever it is, and then you decide a lot of the times you get shiny object syndrome, you see some other business idea and you're like, Oh, that looks really good now. Right. You get overly optimistic about that idea. You start working on that, give up the first one and then, you know, rinse and repeat, you, you'll, you'll eventually face pitfalls. And if you get in that habit, and I was guilty of that from a young age too, it is something that I've learned from, um, people I've talked to on the podcast and also just my own experience of, you know, that avoiding the shiny object syndrome, staying disciplined and staying, uh, persevering through it because the longer you focus in one area, the more refined you're going to get, the more knowledge you're going to get, the more people you're going to get in that industry. You're going to, you're going to meet in that industry and uh, just the higher your likelihood of success goes, right? A lot of, we see these people who are successful and when they're famous and we don't see the 20 years or the 10, 15 years they spent building up to that point. And so it looks like you know, Hormozzi always talks about it. Everyone just thinks, oh, you just have, it's easier for you to do. You have this massive following, you know? And he's like, well, how do you think I got this massive following, right? Like it obviously took time. And so, yeah, discipline and perseverance is, uh, is the short answer to, to my long-winded answer there, Adam. I love it. Where, how do people get connected to you? So as far as Circular Sands goes, that's more of a B2B. Um, but if you're interested in learning about it at all, it is circularsands.com is our website. And then our, our email and contacts are on there. And then uh, as far as the, my podcast goes, it's the MBE Enterprise Podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Uh, we're on YouTube as well at MBE Enterprise, MBE, I should say that, Enterprise, Money, Business, Entrepreneurship, and then also MBE Enterprise Clips, where we post our short content and that sort of thing. And that's also MBE Enterprise on TikTok 
and uh, Instagram and a LinkedIn shortly. So Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I feel like my eyes opened up to kind of like, you know, the possibilities. Uh, I am very, very guilty of always like starting new things. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of like one of the elements of being an entrepreneur. We are born to create. Uh, but like you said, the execution is everything, right? Just because it's shiny doesn't mean that it's going to be executed well. So, you know, my encouragement to everybody out there is to keep grinding and keep kind of like, you know, uh, setting your eyes on the prize and then run in that direction until, you know, there's no more room to run. Um, because when you get there and if it isn't for you, you will just turn into another direction and start running in tor towards that direction. So um, it's a pleasure. Thank you for spending some time with me. Uh, let's like, you know, get connected. I'll be on your podcast soon. It's going to be a fun one and we'll go from there. Super excited for it, Adam. Awesome. Cool.